You are listening to a pleasure podcast. For more from our sex podcast collective, visit pleasurepodcasts.com. Welcome to American Sex, a podcast dedicated to normalizing conversations about pleasure and alternative sexual expression by challenging those puritanical backward-ass ideals that we have here in the U.S. This is episode 73 of American Sex Podcast. I'm Sunny Megatron, and my co-host is Ken Melvoin-Berg. We're sexuality educators, pleasure advocates, and of course, kinky perverts. We missed you, American fuckers. It's been a minute. This is our first episode back from our very first hiatus that we've ever taken since the inception of American Sex Podcast. Our last episode aired in mid-December, so it's been about a month. Now, if you're a regular listener, you may have noticed that our intro is a little different now in the new year. Yep, you didn't imagine it. You heard our bumper for Pleasure Podcast, which is a podcast collective that we belong to, along with a number of other awesome sex podcasts that we love and support, like Body Storytelling, Sex Out Loud with Tristan Terramino, Sex Talk with My Mom, Holly Randall Unfiltered, Sluts and Scholars, Speaking of Sex, and Sex with Tim Marie. So yeah, we love all of them, and we're happy to be know, in a little collective with them while supporting each other. If you want to find out more about exactly what we do and what this podcast collective is, you can find out more at pleasurepodcast.com. You also might be wondering what the heck is going on, right? So the last we left you on our last episode of American Sex Podcast, our lives were turned upside down and they're still kind of turned upside down. The Megatron Berg family, if you haven't heard, is moving to Vegas. I'm in Chicago for two more days. Ken's actually been out in Vegas for a month. And uh, soon we're going to be back recording in the same place at the same time. So you hear both of us in the intro again. I know you noticed he was missing. He won't be for long. This might be the very last intro that I record in Chicago. You will hear from Ken in this interview, though. Earlier this week, we both connected with Dr. Hernando Chavez. Dr. Hernando Chavez has a bachelor's degree in psychology, a master's in marital and family therapy, and a doctorate in human sexuality. He's currently a licensed marriage and family therapist specializing with clients working with intimacy and relational difficulties, sexual concerns and dysfunctions, and with sexual minorities like members of the LGBTQ community, people into BDSM, fetishes, sex work, non-monogamy, etc. Dr. Chavez is a psychology and sexuality professor also at Orange Coast College and Pepperdine University, and he's also presented at many, many, many academic institutions and conferences. He's written and consulted for 14 instructional sex education projects. He's co-host for Penthouse's Sex Academy instructional series. He's the consultant for Bedoink VR, Virtual Reality Sex Therapy Instructional Video. He's also written for Sexpert.com, AskMen.com. He's the contributing author to the International Encyclopedia of Human Sexuality, and he's been featured in all sorts of publications like Rolling Stone, The Guardian, Vice, Maxim, etc. So, yeah, Dr. Chavez has a lot going on, and Ken and I have been fans and friends for quite some time, and we really, really enjoyed this particular conversation that we had with him. So a little bit of what we talked about, his origin story. How did he become a sex therapist? He actually moved from child therapy into sex therapy, so that's a very interesting story. We talk about how to be a sex positive parent, especially how to parent gender nonconforming and trans kids, how to talk to your kids about sex when you haven't even received ever shame-free comprehensive sex ed, so you don't know what the heck you're doing. How the hell do you teach your kids? We talk about the damage that stress is doing to Americans, both inside and outside of the bedroom, and how to alleviate it. We even get geeky and like get into the sympathetic and parasympathetic nervous system. So for you geeks out there, you're going to love that part of the conversation. He tells us when sex therapy or sex coaching would be helpful in your life and what's the difference, how to find common ground when your sexual desires are different from your partner. He also gives us like firsthand prostate play tips and tells us the best, hottest new toy for prostate play. We get into common sex therapy problems in the LGBTQ community, how the current political climate is affecting people's sex lives, where men are finding support in the age of Me Too. Lots and lots of stuff. This is a good convo. You're going to love it. 
But real quick, before we get to that interview, you know what time it is. It's big welcome and heartfelt appreciation time to the new members of our Patreon family. I want to give a big welcome and heartfelt appreciation to the awesome folks that joined our Patreon family over the last few weeks. Huge thanks to Jess, Kat, Sex Nerd Sandra, by the way, if you don't listen to her podcast, you should. She's awesome. Andrea and Raven, we could not do this podcast without your support. We thank you so much. And hey, listeners, if you're not American Sex Podcast Patreon member, we'd love for you to be. Not only does your membership help support this show, you get lots of awesome perks too, like bonus stories from our guests, extra episodes, American Sex Podcast stickers, video greetings, uh, random surprises in the mail, and more. In fact, going up in the next couple of weeks are bonus episodes that I recorded with Dirty Lola and Allison Moon of Girl Sex 101. And I got some more in the works for you at patreon.com slash American sex. Now, last thing before we get to our interview, we talked quite a bit in the past on this show about online censorship having to do with sex and sex ed and anything sex related. Social media has been really cracking down and removing people like me, especially as of late. So I highly encourage you to get on our mailing list so we don't lose touch in the event of a censorship crackdown. So if you have your phone handy, you can sign up for our mailing list via text right now. Just text the word Megatron to the number 444-999 and you're in. You can also visit SunnyMegatron.com slash newsletter. And as always, if you missed any of those links or any other link that we talk about in this entire episode, don't worry. Just go to AmericanSexPodcast.com, look at the show notes for episode 73, and it'll all be there for you. All right. Are you ready, American fuckers? Here's Dr. Hernando Chavez. All right. On the line, we have Dr. Hernando Chavez. Okay. We've been laughing before I, I counted us in. So this is, this is already sounding like a fun interview. I do want to say, um, Dr. Hernando Chavez, it is your birthday, Happy isn't birthday. it? It's coming up. It's Yeah, the birthday is every day of the year, but the actual... Um, <laughs> Leading up my mother's vagina is in about two weeks. <laughs> oh, it is for real? Yeah, yeah. January 29th. So, oh, so cool. for those of so for for listeners, listeners that, that yeah. you don't have inside knowledge, um, we decided that a long time ago we were – where were we at? Was it a playground conference in Toronto? And they had these fantastic drinks, but only if it was your birthday. Yeah, we're out we were at out some, some restaurant. restaurant and yeah. I decided to tell them it was Hernando's birthday. So ever since then, every time that we see him, we, I wish him a happy birthday, whether it's his birthday yeah. or not. Or we birthday punk him yes. somehow. So that's not <laughs> it, fine. It, it's that's much funnier fine. to us, I think, than to outsiders. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so we'll get to the, we'll get to the meat of what everyone wants to hear. So you are? Do you go by sex therapist or sexologist? How do you prefer you, to be referred to? You no, know, it depends on the situation. If I'm working with clients, sex therapist. If it's education setting, more of a sex educator. I, I just kind of I'm a chameleon that just morphs. Okay. So all right, we're, I'm gonna start at the beginning. How did you get into it? I honestly fell into it. It, was, uh, it wasn't even a conscious choice. It was in college I was dating a woman who took psychology classes. And because I was uh, doing sports and I had other sort of uh, things going on working, I just never saw her. So we decided to take, I decided to take her classes. And all of a sudden I was a psych major. So it was that easy. And, uh, and then in, when we broke up after college, I just looked online for a grad school and thought, what can I do with psychology? And it was as easy as saying, marriage and family well i want to get married i think having a family would be cool i love mine and i'm a good listener so i went to you know school and and after going to school i i thought you know i'm kind of not into this like it's not as engaging as i thought and and then i discovered sex therapy at first i was actually a child therapist and working with kids and adolescents and then going into sex therapy was like a game changer it was my passion you know i've got my own pervy side that i can now sort of like funnel into like my interest at going to conferences and doing research and reading and it just became so much more enjoyable to to work so in a strange like cut to the chase way the nookie led you into the nookie it's interesting yeah you know (laughs) there was a movie years ago it's called meet the fuckers and you and there was this uh character barbara streisand she was like a this this like kooky like geriatric sex therapist yoga like mom And I saw that and I thought, wow, that's pretty cool. Is that actually something that is real? And I looked it up and all of a sudden there are people that are sex therapists, sex coaches, surrogates. I mean, it wasn't just like a storyline or a punchline. 
Um, so that's the path I went down. You know what? That, oh, just a second, because this is not the story that I was expecting, simply because you have done more for more people than just about anybody I know through your volunteerism, through your healing of fractured communities. Yeah, I mean, you're just a natural healer. <laughs> that was not, like, oh, your, man, your, your story is you. awesome. It just wasn't what I was expecting because knowing, like, you know, everything that you do for AIDS and HIV walks, homelessness, um, just helping people out in general. Advocacy. Like yeah. everything that you do, it's just amazing. Thank you for saying that. Thank you. And, and you know what I learned along the way is that uh, I was really the underdog, like in the person that's being oppressed, the person that's being marginalized, the person that uh, has obstacles that are pushing them down. Like even in movies, I'm always rooting for the person who's, you know, sort of has a disadvantage and I want them to come out on top. And I think that just translates into work. Uh, you know, there's so many people out there that really need support and help. And I think the challenge for all of us is that we want to do more, but sometimes we just feel like we can't, whether it's our own burnout or our own just difficulty with trying to like reach different places and populations. You know, I do the exact yeah. same thing, only it's only through superheroes because I love Aquaman. Mm. <laughs> Always voting for I the underdog. The <laughs> well, he's not the underdog. No, now anymore. he's on now top. Jason yeah, Momoa. All the moms are like, now he's bro didn't Aquaman change from our childhood? Oh my God. Yeah. Like I collect the <laughs> comic books and the Funko Pop characters. Yeah. He's not the wimpy guy that talks to fish anymore. <laughs> not yeah, at all. No. He's not the yeah, underdog not anymore. Not at all. His, his orange and green outfit also changed too. Oh my God. Yeah, he yeah, doesn't dude. have an outfit anymore. <laughs> <laughs> he, did, he did some push ups, ate some creatine and supplements, yeah. something. Lobster, <laughs> something. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> So, Hernando, why, what is it specifically in sex? Immediately, were you like, I'm the type of guy that roots for the underdog, so naturally, da, 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 da. or was there an evolution there that made you realize, like, no, these are the people that really need more attention or that need a voice or that need someone? Like, what was that that catalyst that led you there? You know, it was one of my first jobs out of grad school. Um, after I switched from child therapy, I first worked with families and, and adolescents and kids, and it was my first sort of sexuality job, and it was uh, an organization in Los Angeles that's, that's no longer around. It was called GLASS, Gay, Lesbian, Adolescent Social Services. And it was all kids under 18, uh, teens and, and, and uh, uh, children that were queer, gay, LGBTQ+, um, had some sort of sexual identity component to, to who they were. And they were um, essentially like they were being forgotten in the system. A lot of them were in foster care. A lot of them were... Uh, uh, not receiving mental health services, medical services. And so this organization um, helped serve that community. And so I got to, to do group counseling and individual counseling with all these queer kids. And it really opened my eyes to not only the struggle that they experienced, but um, just how little was offered for them. And yeah. we did have the LGBT center, which a lot of major cities have, but they weren't really catering to people under 18. It was more for adults. And I saw things like, you know, uh, kids who were, you know, homeless for, and or kids who were doing sex work to survive, kids who were, um, you know, being sort of abused in, in group homes or in, in foster care facilities and, um, the, the lack of resources, the lack of community. And I just had a real big, like, it really touched my heart to see all, I mean, the, 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 the things that I gained from them was exponential just with empathy and compassion and just learning and understanding. Uh, and, and we had fun too. I mean, I even was asked to teach. It's, it's so interesting as a straight person. You know, being asked to teach like a gender uh, group. You know, I'm not trans, but there was all these gender nonconformant uh, kids and trans kids, and here I am, sort of helping them out. But they're also teaching me, and we would do things like a makeup day where we teach each other how to put makeup on, and they would use me as like their their model. Like, okay, let's practice on Hernando, and you know, we, we would do like a how to walk in heels day, and and the older trans uh, teenagers would teach the younger trans kids, and. You know, it's not easy to walk in heels. I'm going to just throw that out there. And, uh, <laughs> you know, there was just a lot of like, it was supportive and therapeutic, but also it was a practical and fun. And I would just learn so much from those kids. It was really beautiful. You know, th this That's actually so brings cool. up a really important subject that I've been like actually wanting to make a whole episode around, but I think you might be the perfect person to talk to about this because you're a big trans ally, you know, and because of your academic background, you have a lot of experience with trans kids. Um, and I, I get approached a lot by different, uh, like friends and people that are new to having a trans kid that think, you know what? Maybe this is just a phase. Maybe this is mm -hmm. something that they're just trying on. Um, and that they're not really trans. How do I approach this with my seven, eight, nine or 10 year old? And my response to them was that, you know, suicide rates are so high. 
in trans kids almost more than any other group that even if it's something they're trying on for a moment, let them do it and let them explore it fully because otherwise the consequences might be very dire. What is your response to parents when they, or to trans kids when they come to you with this kind of issue? You know, for a lot of parents, there's, there's resistance and uh, it comes from their own upbringings. It comes from their own socialization of a feeling that there's either a binary model for gender or there's sort of a, a, a one path, you know, and, and, and it depends on the, the parent, but sometimes it's also out of fear. It's out of fear of them being discriminated against, them being bullied, them being sort of different and, and, and the struggle they may go through. And so you have to work with people's anxieties and fears about what's the origin of their resistance towards that support. And what we know from research and also from case studies and speaking to, to clients and such is that as parents, we have to find it within ourselves to support even when we're uncomfortable or when we're not fully sure or understanding that the best parents of trans kids are the ones that are that offer support and space and create opportunities for them to explore identity and to explore their gender. Um, and then if you try to, to suppress that or if you try to, to curb that or stop that, what happens with children? I mean, they, they begin to resist or rebel. They may begin to internalize and experience pain. You know, there's a lot more um, difficulties that can arise with trying to um, – control or suppress this than, than, uh, than if you allow this to blossom. And really with, with, you know, we have, we are questioning sort of beings. We are sort of the uh, individuals who want to explore different identities. I mean, how many of us, if we think of like our hobbies and our interests, um, tried out piano, tried out guitar, tried out soccer, tried out, you know, all, and, and as parents, we supported these explorations to see what fit for who we are. And we should be doing the same thing with orientation, the same thing with gender, that our explorations is, is truly about seeking knowledge and understanding who we really are. And if we're not doing that, then I think we're actually doing something very um, potentially abusive to our, to our children. God, I love that. That's comparison. awesome. Because it's it's absolutely true. You know, we we encourage in every other facet of life. Why not approach this the same way? So to me, that makes sense. To Ken, that makes sense. To you, that makes sense. And to a lot of our listeners, that makes sense because we're already on board. We're already, you know, quote unquote, sex positive. However, you can only or a child can only get support enough or learn so much at home as the knowledge that their parents have. And a lot of these parents, if they have very negative views about sex or they are shaming their children when they're coming, you know, to them with different things, a lot of times they don't even realize they're doing it. They don't even realize it's a problem. They don't get it to them. That's the way the world works and they're right. So how do we reach those parents who don't already have that natural curiosity that like, Hey, I got to learn some stuff so I can teach my kid better. How do we get to them? You know, I think first we have to work with people's resistance and try to encourage at least some openness to exploring um, other possibilities, other ways of parenting. And um, I've always found that media can be something very powerful and, and books as well. Um, there's a, uh, uh, a YouTube there's a show that was like ancient history. It's called 2020 that Barbara Walters did many years ago. We know about it, but I think a lot of listeners may not have known about that show. And about yeah. 15 years ago, maybe 12 years ago, they did an episode, a two-part episode, with Jazz Jennings, who was at the time they were showcasing um, her her sort of uh, uh, transition and her sort of uh, uh, awakening of her trans identity. And, and if you know about Jazz Jennings, she also has a TV show more recently called I Am Jazz, showing her sort of maturation into, uh, into her teenage years. And what was mm-hmm. great about this episode was that it interviewed the parents, it interviewed the psychologists, it interviewed Jazz as well. And it really showed what good parenting can look like when it comes to supporting your trans child, exploring their identity. Um, you know, the, the, it just was a wonderful, and I think that's a great starting tool to seeing what it could look like if you made that decision to be supportive rather than to be sort of oppressive or controlling. I just think mm-hmm. that's a wonderful thing to, to experience situations where we can have modeling, whether it's through group support. Uh, a number of, of cities will have um, trans uh, therapists or trans uh, 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 clinics that have support groups that have individual therapy. I mean, reading books, these are all ways that we start to chip away at some of our, dis- our discomfort, which is really a social construct. It, it's, a, it's, a, it's a part of our upbringing. It's like racism and discrimination and uh, um, you know being a, a, a homophobic or transphobic. These are all things that we sort of learn along the way, whether it's through religion or conservative upbringings. I mean, we, have to, we can unlearn these if we initially learn them. Mm. 
Yes. I love it. I love it. I love it. So you're a sex therapist and, and I'm, I'm going to go back to outside of our bubble because us in this, in the sex positive world and the sex ed world, sex therapy world, we're surrounded with our own people. We're insulated with like minds. And sometimes it even like gobsmacks me in the face when I go out into the quote default world and I realize that some of these sex negative thoughts or assumptions are actually what's commonplace. So to the, you know, quote, average default person, a lot of people you say sex therapist, and they're like, I don't need no sex therapy. I know what I'm doing in bed that it's, it's if you are seeking therapy, it's because you're horrible in bed, you're doing something completely wrong, that sort of thing. But really, who is sex therapy for? There's a lot of different areas you can explore with sex therapy, but um, when I teach this to students or when I te- um, you know, process this myself, I find that sex therapy is really a combination of traditional psychotherapy and sex education when you're dealing with sexual issues, that you're going to need a combination of both, that in a lot of therapeutic practices, you offer a lot of psychoeducation, a lot of sort of information, resources, uh, limited information, specific suggestion, permission giving it. These are um, areas that... Uh, If it's around sexuality, you have to have a strong knowledge around sex and also a comfort around sex that clients can sniff out when you're uncomfortable about something or when you're judgmental about something. And we have to come to our clients with compassion, empathy, but also with an understanding and a support that doesn't seem like we are judging them from, you know, therapeutically. Um, I find that uh, you can you can work with different populations and also different um, areas within sexuality. So some clinicians will focus solely on, on trans therapy. Some clinicians will focus solely on sexual concerns like arousal, desire, orgasm concerns, maybe intimacy with couples. Um, some, like myself and a few other therapists, will uh, work with um, sexual minority and erotic communities. So it could be people who are fetishists, kinky, non-monogamous. And, and typically what you find with individuals who are um, – working in in sex therapy in those areas, they may have some guilt or distress about maybe uh, accepting their identity. Um, Typically, they may have maybe some challenges with partners who uh, may have some difficulties accepting them. Or it may be that they're working on traditional sort of therapeutic concerns like mental health, depression, anxiety, and so on. And they just want somebody who understands that their kink or their lifestyle isn't necessarily problematic. It's a, it's a part of who they are. They, they don't want a therapist who makes that the problem or who focuses and fixates on that as being, you know, some reason why they're uh, having difficulties in their lives. Because actually what I find is that uh, people in erotic communities typically have similar um, um, concerns and challenges as people who are in vanilla or non-erotic communities, you know, the more dominant uh, uh, majority, and that we're all struggling, that we all have our own pain, our own traumas, and our own difficulties with communication. And whether you have one partner or four partners, um, you can have these present. And it's really wonderful to find a safe space to work on them. So if we all have the same common denominators, generally, what are, I don't know, the top three, let's say, things that you tend to hear or the issues that your clients come to you with? You know, I think that we are in a, a country that's very unique uh, we have a lot of wonderful opportunities. I don't want to throw this country under the bus too much. Um, we do have the the American dream. You know, an immigrant can come here and, and uh, start a small business, be able to sort of create a life, uh, create a family that could be safer than maybe uh, where they came from, from the third world country and, and violence and oppression that can be present in other countries as well. But one thing I'm noticing in our country compared to others is that we are highly stressed, that we have so much shit on our plates that people are really anxious. I mean, we have, when we compare ourselves to European countries or other countries, I mean, I have friends in Australia and, and I ask them about their, you know, what's it like for you to have your health care cared for? And what's it like for you to not to have, to have gun laws that sort of have removed guns from your society? And they have a lot more tranquility and peace in their worlds than we do. Hmm. And I find that and even the APA, the American Psychological Association, they did a study on, on stress and they asked uh, individuals in America, you know, what is your level of stress? We had over 55% of people saying they had anywhere from moderate to high stress in their life, that that's how they term themselves. That if more than half of people are stressed out, how is that going to impact our uh, if it, uh, relational functioning, our sexual functioning, our ability to experience peace, happiness, love, um, compassion, empathy? It's just, I find that stress and anxiety is one of the, the greatest factors that, is, that, that um, really, I think, fuck up our lives, to be honest. Yeah. 
and I find it fascinating that you're talking about this because it's like on a perfect trajectory with like my personal journey this year is like I'm really trying to figure out how to de-stress. Mm-hmm. And like a lot of people right now who are part of the gig economy who don't have like that nine to five job and mm-hmm. guaranteed insurance, shit stressful. And we're working all the time. A lot of us are. Mm-hmm. So when it comes to stress, whether it's stress that's just keeping you from going to sleep or stress that's keeping you from fucking in your bed because you're thinking about all the other things and you right. can't calm down, how, what are some ways that we can de-stress? Cause I haven't figured it out yet. And you're the professional. So tell me, I'll tell you what, Hernando, (laughs) I wish I could just say one thing and everybody will be all (laughs) de-stressed. Take the de-stress pill and then you'll be fine. (laughs) I'm sure there is a pharmaceutical company that's trying to develop that pill, (laughs) make a buck off us. But, you know, I think there's been a movement in postmodern sex therapy um, to work on mindfulness and incorporating more mindfulness in our lives to help with our relational and sexual sort of selves. And, Unless we're able to directly um, deal with the origins of our stress, whether it's financial stress, whether it's a uh, relational anxiety, whether it's um, you know uh, occupational sort of anxiety or stress, if we aren't able to uh, to um, reduce and diminish the origins of that stress, we're going to have to really become um, present with how we care for ourselves and how we sort of manage that stress. And with the mindfulness movement in sex therapy, a lot of people are work are, are incorporating. Um, mindfulness techniques that help address some of the anxiety and stress that goes on within ourselves, like within our brains. So there's a lot of focus on mindfulness, breathing exercises, meditation. Um, I've seen a lot of wonderful um, impacts on people when they have incorporated stuff like meditation. Uh, I'm a big believer in, in apps like Calm or apps, another app, Headspace, that it can be a wonderful... Is that where like, you breathe with the triangle or whatever? Like, Is that... What what is what are those apps do? You know the, these these in particular are guided imagery apps. So they have a person who sort of they play sort of soft music and they'll guide you through different sort of scenarios. So it could be a a, a, a meditation on anxiety reduction. It could be a meditation on work stress. It could be a meditation on uh, compassion. Uh, it could be a meditation on gratitude. And they have all these different sort of uh, topics that they address. But for a lot of people, deep breathing is really helpful for the brain. So when you think of the brain, there's there's sort of like polarizing mechanisms that are at that are at odds. We have our uh, autonomic nervous system, which has these two areas called the sympathetic and the parasympathetic nervous system. And our sympathetic is that anxiety dysregulation system that uh, when we feel fear or, or anger or anxiety, it, it turns into that fight, flight, or freeze sort of experience. And our sympathetic is the opposite of that. It's like our calming mechanisms, our relaxation mechanisms that help reduce the impact of that dysregulation. And so they're always constantly in flux, you know. And so our, I think what our um, mission in life could be to reduce stress is to really work on those parasympathetic techniques that it's really helpful for us to slow down, to be mindful, to meditate, to do yoga, to, and I know these things are not curing our problems, if you will, when it comes to stress, but they're helping us manage them. And then when we do get some balance with our uh, origins of anxiety, we find that these practices can really help us with creating um, bliss and tranquility and just more peace within individuals' experience, less dysregulation. Mm. I have a quick question about, and this uh, sort of dovetails on what you were just talking about, but if I was somebody who was in a very remote location of the United States and a therapist like yourself wasn't available, is there a way for them to simply hop on the internet and FaceTime with you? Yeah. Yeah. You know, one of the challenges with, um, with licensed therapists is that we have to practice within our licensed state which makes it really difficult right. because uh, crossing state lines with any type of work like that can uh, can be a, uh, against our, our legal and ethical sort of guidelines. Um, but what, uh, you know, I think that people can find, whether it's a therapist in there, uh, you can do a lot of phone and Skype and uh, virtual therapy within your state. And there's a lot of opportunities now based on technology. Like, like you and all three of us are talking and we're in three different states, Nevada, yeah. Illinois yeah. and Cali. And that's amazing that we're able to do that. People can do it with their therapy as well. And I want to throw this out there. It doesn't always have to be a licensed therapist. That sometimes yeah. we're working on stress management or working on like uh, intimacy. We can reach out to a tantric practitioner. We can reach out to a uh, mindfulness coach. Um, that sometimes the best person for the job is the person who has the most expertise in that area. Um, maybe if it's a, a trauma or an intensive therapy sort of work, we might want to find somebody who's, who's licensed or who has experience. But there's a lot of healers out there that uh, 
they have their own sort of unique um, outside the box sort of shingles that they put out there. Right. I have a question, like more of the, the logistics of, of practicing across states. Let's say somebody like you who is a therapist that's licensed in a certain state and, you know, you work as a, ther- a licensed therapist. Let's say you wanted to do Skype sessions. Could you Skype session with someone but call yourself a coach or a counselor or something, but still give them a similar type of care? Is that something that exists in the world? It's a really good question, and uh, people will do that. So, that, so if you separate your licensed self from your non-licensed or your certified self, and you can distinguish those two professions or those multiple professions, that people do do that. Um, mm-hmm. With coaching, the difference between coaching and therapy, there's this model called the Plicit model that was developed in the 1970s by Jack Annan, and it it stands for it's an acronym P L I S S I T. It stands for four different um, terms. The first, the P is for permission, the L is for limited information, and the SS is for specific uh, suggestion. And if you mm-hmm. can work in a coaching counseling model working on those three areas, um, that's considered coaching and that's not considered infringing upon your license when it comes to therapy. So an example could be uh, somebody who is anorgasmic. That's a, a term for people who have difficulty reaching orgasm, whether it's lifelong or it's acute and it just happens here currently, that if... Um, there could be a lot of reasons for that. And it may be that somebody's reason is that they've never masturbated. Maybe they were just taught that touching yourself is dirty and icky. And that's what my religion told me or my family sort of encouraged. So the permission might be that it's okay for you to masturbate, that you can offer them some information about uh, uh, masturbation and its benefits. And giving them that permission can be a big help for people. And the limited information, mm-hmm. the LI piece, can be offering them some data or some research about who masturbates, how many people masturbate, maybe some masturbation techniques, like here's what you can do to touch yourself and try. And, or maybe here's some uh, specific suggestions. Maybe here's a book called Sex for One by Betty Dotson that you can explore your own sort of uh, uh, resistance and anxiety with masturbation and see if you can create that empowerment with solo sex and that comfort. And maybe the specific se- suggestions can be discussing clitoral uh, stimulation and vibrators and different products that might be able to create that sort of uh, pleasure. And that would be a coaching sort of uh, example. If there was an intensive therapy piece, let's say that person divulged that they have uh, a history of trauma or history of abuse or sexual assault, it may be that those permission, limited information and specific suggestion counseling uh, coaching isn't going to be enough or may not be addressing really the origins of their, their, uh, their, their pain. And it may be mm-hmm. that a licensed or at least a trauma specialist might be the person who, who would be better fit or better suited and trained to, for that work. So that's, that's kind of how we look at therapy versus coaching and counseling. And you can do those separately if you choose to. Yeah. And, and that's really helpful because I think it's, it's very confusing for a lot of people, especially people who, you know, I think that, uh, mental health care is becoming less stigmatized and much more accessible. I mean, there's apps where you can, you know, get therapy or coaching or whatnot now. And, um, but I think people are still afraid because they don't know, like, well, what is coaching and what is therapy? So thank you for, for laying that out so plainly. You know, and for anybody who's listening, uh, there are a lot of different types of, um, counseling and coaching that we're experiencing throughout life and, and through historically that we don't realize are very similar. Like when we have a rabbi or a priest who counsel us, they're doing the, pretty much a very similar thing. They're listening to your concerns and they're offering you suggestions or maybe some advice, maybe some encouragement, maybe some uh, you know a perspective that can potentially heal. So it's not that we haven't experienced this in, in culture. I think that there's just this, like you mentioned, a strong stigma towards uh, when it's associated with mental health, when it's associated with someone just listening to us and we're just getting things off our chest, we feel a little bit more free to to explore that. Um, I, I just had actually a situation where a client I've been working with wanted to invite his father into our sessions, uh, so go from individual therapy to more of a family therapy because uh, they've had some problems and some rifts, and the father refused to come in because I was a therapist. And, um, and you know, I understand like the stigma historically that this particular uh, uh, family was Jewish. And I also know that there is a lot of um, like when you look at old Woody Allen movies, you know, there's just a lot of stigma associated with therapy and with people who are neurotic shrink. or shrink. You know, there's only <laughs> yeah. the, the people that are most quote unquote, you know, problematic need that. And I think that's where the dad was coming from. Wow. So there's still stigma, but uh, I, I agree with you. I see it sort of diminishing little by little, especially with more people talking about mental health and, Movies coming out that are addressing it in more of a in a realistic light, and you know the more people and in a preventative 
sort of, you know, not that, oh, it's only for the people that have, you know, quote, the worst problems. Right. It is like it's well care, just like you would make sure you get all your blood tests and your, you know, your pap smears and your mammograms or whatever periodically just to, so you don't find yourself in a bad place or a worse place. Yeah, There's nothing wrong with support. Yeah. Yeah. So. Let's pretend that I'm a person that needs your services and I got all the mindfulness taken care of. Like, mm -hmm. I'm like, cool, found the source of my stress, learn how to meditate. I'm cool. But guess what? When it comes to fucking, I'm still having problems. Mm -hmm. I, I, I can't, I, I, maybe I don't even know what I want. Maybe I do know what I want, but I can't communicate it to my partner. So that I think is not, I think I know is a huge issue for a lot of people. Mm -hmm. So where do we start when it comes to communicating with your partner and maybe setting things on track that have gone way off the rails? So if I was working with somebody, if they came in individually and it was a partner communication like concern or issue, I would want it to invite the partner in. I, I think it might be more conducive for them both to work on the communication together. But that's not always the case. Some partners are resistant or some people are single. And so you don't always have that option. Um, one of the great things that therapy can do is that you can, we sometimes call it role play in therapy, but we can offer, let's say, uh, discourse around communication techniques and we can practice with people. And we can, you know, we're modeling sort of a situation in our professional therapeutic relationship that they can take into their romantic or their platonic relationships. You know, when I ask questions about someone's arousal, someone's fantasies, and we start exploring that and they're telling me about it, essentially what they're doing is, is they are modeling appropriate communication and best, best practices with communication and expression. And my job is to highlight that, is to, to be able to uh, uh, discern sort of the areas where they're struggling with or and also be encouraging and, and showcase here are some areas that you're really uh, blossoming and doing wonderful with with expressing your needs. And what I find with therapy is that a lot of times for most therapy and, and someone can challenge this if they choose to, a lot of times we're looking at an expression of needs. That's a big part of a lot of therapeutic work that we don't feel like we're that, that our, our needs are valuable or we're afraid to express our needs or we're fearful that our partner will reject our needs. And there's, there's this piece around needs being expressed that most people can really benefit from working on. And, and whether it's communication techniques, whether it's processing the anxiety and the fears around expressing ourselves, whether it's going into like our history of attachment or of, of how we were raised and socialized that maybe our needs were not um, valued in our upbringing as children or in our sort of family's uh, uh, upbringings it's really helpful for people to sort of work through that. And you, know, you can't erase the past, but we can come to a place of at least being accepting and maybe even less um, uh, uh, dysregulated around our past. And I think that's what a mm -hmm. lot of people are seeking is just some relief from letting the past impact the present and the future. Hey, psst, did you know American Sex Podcast has a Patreon page? Becoming a Patreon member is a great way to show your support for this podcast. It works kind of like, I don't know, funding for national public radio or how PBS works. If you appreciate our work and the fact that we provide it to the world free of charge, then you can help support it. And as a member of our Patreon family, you'll be eligible for nifty, cool rewards like bonus episodes, surprises in the mail, and more. Oh, and you'll get all of our episodes early, bonus stories from guests, and access to our private Patreon feed. So you thinking about it? You want to know more? Check out all the details at patreon.com slash American Sex. P-A-T-R-E-O-N dot com slash American sex. So I'm going to I'm going to throw out some scenarios and Ken, if you want to you know think up some scenarios, too. So one that I see a prostate lot. play. Oh, what? <laughs> I said prostate play. <laughs> it comes well, up, too. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So. All right. Yeah. Let's say let's say there's one partner that's like. I'm, I'm kind of kinky or I'm really fucking kinky, you know, like maybe I'm a cross dresser. Maybe I, I love prostate play. Every time I have sex, I've got to have the prostate play. And my partner is just not into it. No matter, you know, what I've tried, they're not interested. We're, we're monogamous. You know, what do you do if 
in a partnership, your sexual needs are in two very different places. How do you try to get couples to reconcile that or make compromises? Yeah, you you sort of hit it um, on the head of the nail, which is if people are embedded in and in, in their polarized positions, it's going to have a real difficult time for relationships to work. If we have our core values or, or um, so polarized that we have to find ways to create some sense of acceptance or some uh, olive branch that we extend to find a middle ground, a gray area, a compromise, like you mentioned. And mm-hmm. not every couple and not every sort of relationship is able to find that. Um, right. You know, that is something that I, that I do work with is one partner has certain sexual interests that the other partner is either not aware of or not into. And can they be supportive that doesn't infringe on their own uh, comfort zones? Like if, you know, Ken brought a prostate play. Um, if, let's say. And I was like, ew, man butts, gross. Right. Ew. Some people might. And, and <laughs> you know, people may come to therapies, you know, thinking or asking, like, can you make my wife, you know, uh, more comfortable with playing with my ass? And I'm like, I can't make your wife do anything, but we can explore, you know, uh, some of our discomforts and maybe see if we can come to a, a place where maybe you can have something in your ass and they can. Uh, while you're having sex or, or masturbating, your partner can be present with you or accepting of it. And, and there may be some place to, to find that middle ground. Um, generally, I find that, uh, you know, people do have the, if, especially when there's love involved and a long-term relationship involved, people will find sort of a, a, a middle area, um, whether it's with kink or with uh, uh, non-monogamy. I mean, and not everybody does, but uh, it is important, I think, to explore that. But it's also, we have to be honoring of our own sort of comfort zones and our own sort of, we can't self-sacrifice. And I think that's where, yeah. on both sides, that neither one is right or wrong, that it's about sometimes our, our differences in, in how we see sexuality or see relationships. And, you know, in those situations, it's it's you have to balance both sort of sides because both have their own sort of feelings around, you know, what is potentially a very charged emotional um, uh, topic. Mm-hmm. So, Sonny, if you need a good middle area for me, my taint. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> I'm just saying the perineum. That's yes. Okay. You know, that's a good middle area. Just a quick little segue. You know, a, a great new product um, that I tried yeah. out for prostate play was the OptiMail by Doc Johnson. Ooh, really? It's um, it's got the rotating rim around the sphincter. It's got a perineum um vibrator. So that's one function. And it's got an internal like rotation device that sort of rotates around the prostate. So it's got three potential buttons or, or functions. And it was probably one of the best I've ever tried. Oh, like, hey, little- Doc Johnson, if you're listening, we're going to be calling you. <laughs> little- we, we love the Bravermans, yep. especially if they give us free yeah. sex toys. Woo! Yep. It's a really good one. And um, that internal like uh, uh, prostate sort of like rotation of, of like, the, the tip of the, the toy is really like, it, I don't know. X wants a spot. It hits it. Have you ever tried electric play with prostate play? Yeah, I have. Do you like it? Um, mildly. When it's too intense, I lose a little bit more of like the, the, the whole sensation within the body. But for me, lighter is, is better. Light to moderate. How about you? I love it. Like for it's it's funny. I think I feel how I feel about vibration. How you feel about electricity? I love tons of electricity. Mm-hmm. Mild amount of vibration, though. Otherwise, it's too distracting and it almost gets painful. Got it. Why? Yeah. What What does the the electricity feel like to you? Versus amazing. The I mean, I know which, which you are you talking to? Either I'm curious because I don't have a prostate, so I'm like, oh, <laughs> make me live vicariously through your asses, like. So what is electric on your prostate feel like versus vibration? Um, for me, it it almost feels like my prostate is being suckled. Like, you know how a, like a low current can cause that feeling where it almost feels like, like you're being sucked womp, or like, womp, yeah, womp. like how you can induce <laughs> lactation in anybody with it. It's like that kind of a feeling that or at least that's what's enjoyable and how I sort of address my enjoy a prostate play. And what about you, Hernando? You know, I'm, I'm going to try to relate it to maybe an experience you've had. You know, you've, you've tried out different vibrators that have like those higher intensity motors versus like the lower rumbling motors. And, oh, yeah. Okay. And how like the high intensity one is a little bit more tingly and stingy and the lower. Yeah, like buzzy versus rumbly. Yeah. Kind of. So yeah. for me, electricity is a little more tingly and stingy. It's almost like pinpricky versus oh okay the 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 vibration is a little more rumbly for myself. It's a little more like, um, so I think it's just a matter of our bodies all have different sensory receptors and the way our brain processes that sensation. It's just a, you know, but what I do love hearing is that 
people exploring different sort of sensations that a lot of people don't realize that whether it's electricity or vibration or scratching or tingling, I mean, um, there's so many ways we can experience sensation that we forget that our, our bodies have like a multitude of possibilities. Yeah, yeah. Like we, we sometimes- I have to figure out a way to shove a womanizer up my ass because now I want to know what that little pulsing like, thing feels like, a little like on my sucky, prostate. Uh, right on your prostate. Yeah. yeah, that's an amazing product too. I mean, yeah, I, I just had a a couple come in a couple months ago, and they were the cutest couple. They were, I think, the male is like eighty five, and the female is seventy four. So they're Aww. they're looking to sort of um, you know they want to experience as much pleasure as they can uh, uh, in their life and. Um, orgasm and masturbation has been sort of one of those blocks for, for the female. And so they were wonderful enough to go to the pleasure chest. They took a, you know, I, I like to give little field trips and homework assignments and she was open to but purchasing the womanizer. She had an orgasm. I mean, I, Aww, that's something that that's she hasn't so had in decades. Wow. And yeah, they're amazing. Amazing little tools. They are. And what was great was that the, the male partner, you know, some male men can be resistant. If we're talking about heterosexual couples, to like a little technological device that's, that's, uh, that a female's experiencing pleasure, that sometimes there's that ego and that sort of competitive component, that territorial nature that can sometimes come out. And thankfully, this gentleman was really happy, like so embracing, so thankful, like really embraced this, uh, this experience and didn't like take it personal or have any ego involved. Oh. So what sorts of differences do you see between um, like the commonalities you'll see in hetero couples versus the commonalities you might see in LGBTQ couples or people just, just could be singles too. Yeah. You know, I, I see, I do see a lot of our, our own anxieties and depressions, our mental health concerns that does filter into like reducing our desire and just shifting our libido. And I see that mm-hmm. a lot in, in, in all communities. Something I see in, uh, let's say for example, with, with clients that, that, uh, identify as being gay, uh, and male identified, I'm seeing a lot of, of people who feel like they, you know, that, that the culture is based on either uh, quick fucking or hookups or grinder or, you know, the, the party culture and maybe drugs. And, and, and uh, I, I find that I, I'm actually find, uh, seeing a lot of men who just want more intimacy and more emotionality in their relationships and having, having a mm-hmm. hard time finding it in the gay community. Um, hmm. Especially some of my older male clients, um, you know, in their forties and fifties where they're kind of over that scene. They're over like the, you know, the whole like uh, grinder apps and, and, and scruff. And that's what I'm seeing. Uh, Interesting. More so. huh. And it makes sense. I think uh, in our lives, we realize, you know, relationships are really important. But, but it's nice to feel love and intimacy and closeness and have someone you can depend on and rely on. Yeah. Yeah. Have you seen in, I'm thinking more kind of your traditional hetero couple especially with the political climate and all the stuff that's going on have you been seeing more gender-based stuff coming up like is it unearthing this for people kind of across the board or is that just me um when you say gender-based stuff do you mean like gender non-conformant or or sort of a exploring gender identity or do you mean no not like necessarily I'm, I'm talking more traditional genders traditional. like Got you're it. the mom and you're the dad and now you know there's i think there's a lot more awareness especially in hetero couples that kind of do fill those traditional roles that there's that awareness like hey wait a minute this is kind of misogynistic you know? <laughs> i'll tell you what i think you're hitting on something which um, is coming more to light for people is that I, you know, for a lot of individuals historically or, or, or in previous generations, they didn't really look at gender. They didn't look at power you know, dynamics. They didn't look at whether there's uh, equality or equity in the relationships. Um, they just kind of went with sort of what was described for gender expectations with gender roles. And mm-hmm. now I'm seeing with uh, more women becoming, uh, whether they identify or not as it, more feminist in their views more men becoming more aware of sort of misogyny or patriarchy or, or power dynamics and relationships, especially with, you know, uh, current sort of social movements like the Time's Up and the Me Too movement, that people are now starting to see, whoa, my relationship has these components. Or, um, you know, I'm seeing also a lot of uh, men feeling their own, like becoming more sort of conscious of how these dynamics are impacting their relationships and actually being curious if it's something that's negative or something that's being harmful or hurtful to their relationships. Yeah. So while I do see a lot of fear and anxiety coming up, like there are people discussing like it's, I don't even know if I can date or if I can talk to a woman because I'm afraid of being you know inappropriate or crossing a boundary. And so you have to work with that sort of anxiety. 
But at the same time, you're also seeing people saying, well, I kind of realize now that it's not fair if I'm the only one who has an open relationship and my partner isn't even sort of offered that opportunity. And so I'm seeing a little bit right. more of, a, of a, a balance that's sort of um, from all these movements sort of stirring up uh, you know, thought and awareness. Right. And our, you know, for me, being a woman, obviously, I talk about these issues from a woman's point of view um, quite often. But for men, are they getting the support that because I, th- I see a lot of men just being like smacked upside the head with like all this, oh, shit, all the shit I never realized is suddenly in my face. And it's overwhelmed. Like, I was an asshole. Oh, my God. You know, but are men getting the support or are there places where they can get the support to kind of work through this and process it, whether they have a therapist or not? Like, how is it for men? Tell me you know, from the, from ground zero. You're there. <laughs> I found that there isn't as much. I think with movements, you're going to find sort of the initial movement moving forward. And then there's going to be sort of byproducts that, that sort of branch off from it. And I think this is going to be one of those uh, branched off sort of areas that will eventually become a little bit more focused, but it's a tough one because if you start focusing on, let's say, the male experience, is that detracting and taking away from the current sort of female experience of focusing on sort of whether it's assault or coercion or imbalance or misogyny or femin- uh, non-feminist sort of egalitarian views? You know, it's it's a, a very nuanced situation. I think we have to be mindful that sometimes when we start di- diverting attention to something different, it takes away from the movement uh, and the experience that's being had in the moment from from sort of that trajectory. So yeah. I don't see a lot of um, spaces for men to, let's say, ex- uh, experience that. I mean, I have had a few clients that come and, and actually have talked about their own previously being assholes or misogynists. And, you know, I have my own style of how I work with them, whether it's reading uh, uh, queer literature or, fe- or feminist literature or going to blogs and, or reading articles that, that t- deal with things like toxic masculinity and some other you know, ex- uh, areas today that, that uh, are being sort of looked at and, and um and scrutinized but at the same time yeah. we have to be mindful that we just don't want to take away from, from this moment which is you know there is a a surge that's happening with awareness around sexual assault with awareness around boundaries with the um uh the dysfunctional way that we have been treating women as a society for obviously for centuries and, and thousands of years millennia but we're really becoming we can't let this moment sort of pass you know i know there was a time I think about 20 years ago where we talked about the year of the woman in politics and then it sort of, we had elected a few officials 20 years ago and then it sort of passed and we have to keep yeah. this movement alive and thriving and not let get uh, detracted. Yeah, it is. And you know what? Recently Idris Elba had a great quote when he was asked about how, what, what is his response to men in the era of the me too movement? And he said, and I quote, it's only difficult if you're a man with something to hide and I actually think there's something there that's very substantive, what we're talking about, because I know I've fucked up in the past. I know the things that I did wrong, and I don't think that the rate of men doing something wrong is any different. It's just that we're getting caught now. Mm-hmm. If, if we are – if we're being socialized in a dysfunctional setting, pattern, and culture, um, you know, we have to start looking at what is part of that dysfunction. Like I agree with you, Ken, that all of us have our own – histories that we can look at that are going to be problematic if we start looking at them from the lens that we're using today. Um, I look back at, uh, I mean, you all know that I enjoy a happy hour more you know, just as much as the next person, <laughs> but <laughs> and, I, birthday. <laughs> and birthdays, <laughs> but, but I look back at my, my life and think, wow, there was a lot of times that I was drinking heavily in college in, in a party culture and the people that I was hooking up with or dating or fucking, um, they were drunk too. And, what was their experience? I mean, I, I, I think about that and, and it makes me want to change who I am today, but I have also my own, uh, anxieties about, you know, did I ever hurt somebody or harm somebody or did anybody ever not feel like they could voice their, um, their, their uh, disapproval or their non-consent or, or their consent? You know, it is something that we have to look at. It's, it's something that I cannot change the past. I can only learn from who I once was and become a better person today and even better person tomorrow. And, you know, that, that is part of what my evolution has been. Like I choose not to hook up with people when there's drinks involved. Like if there's one I can live with, maybe two, but other than that, I I just don't feel comfortable with that sort of removal of the ability for people to have consent or uh, have their own inhibitions sort of be, you know, their inhibitions can sometimes be our own mechanisms to help us sort of, you know, be cautious and 
you know, that's, I wish everybody would do, would look back in their past and ask, have I been an asshole? Have I been a shitty communicator? Have I been coercive? Have I been selfish? Have I been uh, a person who, you know, um, you know, in dating or with, you know, there's, have I been a pickup artist in the past? And, and what did I do that was so painful or hurtful to others? And that's, I think the, the moment right now we're in is that we have to be supportive for the, the me too and times up, um, culture. And we also have to do our own work as men um, to introspectively understand what we were doing that was fucked up and what we have to do to change to just be more, you know, just to be better. Yeah, thank you for that. You know, that's something that I, I'm not seeing modeled very well. And, you know, we've all and I'm not just saying men, all of us have, you know, we were products of, of that society products of, you know, 80s dating culture, I was it was horrific and horrible. And we've all done things that we can look back, like you said, with today's lens and, and regret or wish we hadn't done. But I think what we're not seeing is what you just displayed that, you know, we can go back and look at those things and accept them and say, yes, I did a fucked up thing. I think that's where most people just like freeze, you know, either they go into defensive mode, like, fuck you, da, 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 and they just can't process past like, okay, I fucked up, I can't change the past, but now I'm evolving, and I'm going to do better. And mm-hmm. that's, that's the piece we're not seeing. So thank you for that. Um, I hope people listening will, you know, kind of overlay that on their own lives and not let them let that get them down or shut them down when it comes to their evolution. I think it's individual responsibility that we're, we're not yet um, empowering people to have, because if we wait for a social movement, uh, we may be waiting a lifetime and we have to make that choice within us, you know, because I do believe that socialization and how we grow up and what we've been exposed to really does impact who we are. You know, we have to fight back with those things that we start to realize are problematic. For example, you know, uh, homophobia or racism. These are things that, that sometimes are planted with families or with conservative values or with religiosity. And, and certain social constructs will start to plant those seeds and then reinforce them. And we've got to ask ourselves, you know, what are we doing to challenge those as, a, as adults or as people who are trying to live, live better or be more progressive? And, and Many times you won't see a lot of social movements. I mean, in the end, it's going to come down to our choice to want to be better and to want to make some changes. And that's why yeah. I just hope people will start doing that because it doesn't matter how progressive and how sort of liberal you see yourself in the mirror. There is always going to be work to be done. I mean, oh yeah, my life will till the day I stop breathing is the day I will stop working at trying to be a better person. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Amen. Even though I'm not religious, <laughs> uh. <laughs> well, I've been talking a lot about religion too. <laughs> Oh, yeah. Um, But thank you. Thank you. I think this has been a great discussion. And I think people who did not know who you were before this interview need to know more of you. So where can they go to do that? Where can they find you online? Yada, yada. Sure. Um, All my social media is going to be my full name with an underscore in between it. So it'll be at Hernando underscore Chavez ending with an S. And that's Twitter, Instagram, um, uh, Facebook, although I never use that thing anymore. And, um, I also have a website for, for therapy. It's, uh, drhernandochavez.com. Awesome. And for those listening who don't have a pen, don't worry. You don't have to write it down. Just go to americansexpodcast.com and look at the show notes for this episode, which, oh, we were on hiatus. What is this going to be? I think episode 73. I think maybe I'm wrong, but go there and you'll get all of those links. And uh, Hernando, thank you. This has been awesome. Thank you so much. Thank you both for having me. It's wonderful to hear your voice. And thank you for the work that you're doing with putting this information out there and educating people. Oh, thank you. And happy birthday. Oh, happy birthday (laughs) to you. All right. Bye, American fuckers. We will talk to you next week. Thanks for listening to American Sex. To keep up with Ken and I, we'll first make sure you watch our TV show, Sex with Sunny Megatron, on Showtime. Then visit SunnyMegatron.com. There you can learn more about us, read our blog, peruse our workshop calendar, or hire us. For what? Well, either for private coaching, or to book us to teach at your event or university, or as sex and relationship writers for your publication. Oh, and don't forget, we're on social media, too. 
I'm the super social one, so you can find me as Sunny Megatron on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, my YouTube channel, and a bunch of other places. But if you want to get me on Snapchat, you got to look for Sunny underscore Megatron, and you can follow Ken on Twitter at at tag SciChicken. That's P-S-Y-C-H-I-C-K-E-N. Also, please support us by shopping with the affiliates and sponsors from our breaks. And if you contribute to our Patreon, we're going to love you forever. Well, we're going to love you forever anyway, but just go with it. Lastly, if you like this broadcast, tell people about it. Tweet it, Facebook status it, and rate it on iTunes and other platforms. Thanks, friends. We'll see you next week on American Sex.